All right, good morning, everybody. Once again, good to be with you. We're going to be back in Genesis this week. We've been off for three weeks, diving back in into chapter 4, and we're going to be tackling chapters 4 and 5 today. Um, and before we do that, I want to um, get into, uh, I want to tell you a, a little story or, or talk to you about something. So when I, um, when we first moved into our house, uh, there was this rose bush out front. And it was, um, it, it hadn't been like really planned very well or pruned very well. I don't know what the words are for it, but um, but it wasn't, it wasn't shaped very, it was kind of ugly. It kind of had an L shape, and it didn't look great. And, and my wife said, well, we need to rip that out. And I said, no, I, we can make it look good, okay? Let me, give, me, give me some time. So I got the pruning shears, and I pruned it up and tried to you know, do what I could. And I got, I got by with that for a couple years trying to convince her, like, it'll come around. But she was eventually like, no, that's it. We got to take it out. Like, it's, it looks terrible, doesn't look good, just rip it out. And I said, like, okay, fine, it's... I, I, I dug it up. I dug it up and ripped it out, put it in the thing. But here's the thing. That was like many years ago. That was probably like six years ago. And every year since then, it tries to come back. Right? This is it. This is just from the other day. I just took a picture in my yard. This is some rocks near where it used to be. Not even right where it was, but near where it used to be. And it just comes up. Like little bits of it like come up and I have to just rip it out again, because somewhere under the soil there, there's still roots. That root is still there somewhere, um, and I'm not going to find it. I know that. I'm just going to keep cutting it. I'm going to keep cutting it every year when it comes up, but we're, I'm bringing that up because we're going to be talking about murder today, right? We're talking about Cain and Abel. We're talking about murder, and for most of us, like, that's not a concern, right? Most of us have not ever even gotten close to murdering anyone, right? Maybe, maybe some of you have. I don't know. Some of you, I can imagine it. But, but most of you, that's not a problem. That's not something you go like, oh, man, I was, I was, I've been walking with the Lord this week, and i really close to murdering on Thursday, but then I didn't, right? That's not a sin that you struggle with. But the root of it is, right? And Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 5, where he says this, You have heard it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So Jesus gets to here is that like, he is, yeah, murder is the external, the extreme end of this spectrum that really comes from even a simple insult, right? He's really ties murder to flipping someone off on the freeway. He really does. Right? That's really pretty much what he's saying there. And if we go to that... You know, then you might have some worry of like, you know, did, did any of you flip somebody off on the freeway? I won't ask for a show of hands. That was the problem to begin with, right? But, takes a second. But, 
But right, that, if we get to that problem of it, then, then we get a lot, then it gets a lot harder when it gets down to simply being angry with someone, being, you know, that, that, that lower level um, gets a lot harder, but Jesus really ties those two things together. So as we talk about it, keep that in mind, that it's not just about like, let's make sure we don't murder anyone. Let's also make sure we don't murder anyone. But it's tied to the heart. It's tied to a deeper issue in your heart. So we'll start off in chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Acceptable offerings. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Oh, let me pause right there. I know we're only one verse in. But when you see these kind of verses in the Old Testament, you see this a lot, where it's like they, she conceived and gave birth to a son, blank, and, and then she said, right, saying, or like saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. This be the way that they named kids back then. It was like often tied to something that's happening around the time. So Cain in Hebrew sounds like the Hebrew word for gotten, right? So that's why it says she, she gave birth to a son and bore Cain saying, I have gotten a man. But, so it's like his name was Got, right? It'd be like if, you, if his name was Gotten and you named him Got. Um, so that when you see that in scripture, just know that that's right. Because we're going to come up against that a lot as we go forward in, um, in Genesis here. Verse 2, And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain worked the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So this is the part of the story that that we don't think about that much, right? We get right to the action of the, the murder, but this is really what happens before that, which is they're offering, they're doing this offering, and God accepts, right, has regard for, accepts, appreciates Abel's offering and not Cain's offering. And a lot of the, the, the big question then is like, why not? What, why, what was the difference? Why did he approve of um, Abel's offering and not Cain's? What was special about it? What was different about it? And also, how did they know? Right? That's a question we don't really have an answer for. Some people assume, or some people presume that maybe God sent fire down and consumed Abel's offering and not Cain's, but we don't know how they knew that he, had, that, he, that he approved of Abel's and not Cain's, but somehow that was made clear. And then the question becomes, why did he approve of Abel's and not Cain's? What's the difference? A lot of people point to like, oh, well, God must prefer meat to vegetables. No, that's not, that's not it, right? It's not... It's not, the, qual- it's, not the, the, it's not the type of offering, because we see later in the, in the Old Testament that God asked for both kind of offering. He asked for grain offerings and, and animal sacrifices. Those both, both of those things happen in the, in the Old Testament as we move forward. So there are two things that we can really point to. One is that God could see the hidden motives of their heart. Right? He knew what was going on inside of them. It's not just that you do it, but it's, it's with what attitude and with what heart you're doing it. And we know this even confirmed from Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4 where it says by faith 
Abel offered to God a more acceptable offering than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. He was pointing to the fact that he's saying it's, it's by faith, it was, in a, it was in his heart, the way that he offered it to God was different qualitatively than Cain's was. His heart was a willing and eager participant. Part of why we maybe know this, or another thing we can point to, is that it seems that Abel offered the very best of what he had, while Cain just offered something. Right? Because it just says there that Cain offered, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, just some of it. But it says Abel brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. He brought the best, the firstborn, the first fruit. He brought the beginning of it. Right? And it could have easily said that Cain brought the first fruits because that's what's going to come in later on. That is language that was used. So by not saying first fruits, maybe pointing to the fact that he was bringing the worst. And any of you who have a garden, you know that like you have the best produce and you have the stuff that's like, yeah, I'll give that away. <laughs> right? When you grow like tomatoes or something like that, some of them are like great. Those are the ones you want to like show off to the neighbors, right? Those are the literally great ones. And then you have the ones where you're like, let's not let anyone, something went wrong here, right? There's different quality. And so it's easily possible that Cain just like grabbed the worst stuff and brought that to the Lord. At the very least, it, it doesn't say that he brought his best. And when we do bring things to God, he doesn't want our leftovers, right? He doesn't, he's just not looking for the, 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 what we just, what we are not going to have, not going to eat anyway, not what we're going to not use anyway. In 2 Samuel, we see an example of this with King David, where um, he's brought something to offer to the Lord and insists that he pay for it. So in, in 2 Samuel chapter 24, verses 24 through 25, it says, But, to the, but the king said to Aruna, No, but I will buy it for you from a price. This, this guy, Aruna, was trying to give something to David to give to the Lord. I will not offer burnt offerings to the, to, my, to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord responded to the plea for the land and the plague was averted from Israel. Right? So David, David is very specific. He's saying like, no, I'm not going to offer something to God that doesn't cost me anything. It's got to cost me something. And that's something to think about when we think about how we give to, to God, right? We, we tend to offer in this day our, our time or our money, right? We either offer our time or we give financially to God in some way. And the question with both of those things is, does it cost you anything, right? Is the time that you spend serving God taking away from time you would be doing something else? Is it just like, I have nothing better to do then is it really offer? Is it really a sacrifice? Are you really giving anything up? And again, financially, because if it's not costing you anything, is it really an offering? If it's like, well, this, is, this isn't gonna, I wasn't gonna use this anyway. That's really the question that he wants us to ask, and that's the, that's the difference between Cain and Abel's sacrifices. Abel's cost him something. It was the best that he had. It was the firstborn. 
The other thing we see here in this selection process is we see a beginning of this, this pattern that God chooses the unlikely. Right? God chooses Abel. He's the second born. He's also the keeper of sheep, which we might think of as better. Right? If we were looking at the, those two jobs, like one of you is going to be a gardener, one of you is going to keep sheep, we might go like, well, the sheep herders, obviously, that's like a better job. But if we're, we're so close to the garden... And God's original purpose that Cain is really doing the original purpose that God had for man. The original task that he gave Adam to keep and work the ground. That's what Cain's doing. Bringing the, the, the first fruits of his harvest, bringing his harvest to God. At this point in the story, <coughs> we would think that that's what he would prefer. Because it's what his original task was. Also, Cain is the firstborn. So, Cain would automatically assume that he would be the preferred one between him and Abel. But God's saying, no, I'm looking beyond that, not looking just at your external merits. I'm looking at the heart and how this is being done. We're going to see this over and over again as we go through Genesis of God choosing the unlikely rather than the likely. The other thing we see here is, is that when God comes and talks to Abel, or when God comes and talks to Cain about this, it's, it's not like a, a disqualifying incident, right? It's not, it's not something that's so terrible that he can't, be, he can't come back from it. God tells him, like, if you do well, will you not be accepted? He's saying, this, this is forgivable. This is something you can come back from. But at the time, he's given that chance, right? He's given that chance to, to do the right thing, to turn his life around. And it says, if he doesn't, sin is crouching at your door. Sin is crouching at your door, which is the idea of it's right there, ready to pounce. All right, and I chose this image because it's one of the scariest images I can think of. My in-laws have this cat. It's a Bengal, it's a mix of a, it's like part Bengal tiger cat. They make these on purpose. Where it's, it's like a really big cat and it's descended from Bengal tigers and it has a, I don't even understand. But it's terrifying and it wants to kill me. Okay, I know it. And, it. and it does this kind of thing, like any cat, waits to pounce on something. You've seen your cats do this, where they like sit there ready to, they're waiting for their opportunity. They'll sit there all day if they have a, a target, right? And what he's saying is, that's what sin is like in our lives when we start to walk away from God. When our heart starts to rebel, when we start to drift, start to get angry, get jealous, get resentful, when we start that drift, that's when it's ready there to take advantage of us, to leap on, to tempt you to do something more. And that's God's warning to Cain. He's saying, if, you, if your heart doesn't change, if you don't say like, hey, yeah, I, I, I messed up here and I can, I'll, I'll try again and I'm going to do the right thing now. If you don't do that, if you continue to live in this rebellion, sin is waiting for you. It's going to come and get you. And sure enough, that's what's going to happen. The same is true for us. All right, we'll move on to, to verses 8 through 16, Cain and Abel. Here's the meat of the story. Cain spoke to his brother Abel, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my, am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. 
You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so, if anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, and lest anyone who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So we see the first murder, right? the, first, the first act of violence in history. Why did this happen? Ultimately, it's anger and jealousy in, Cain, in, in Cain's heart. Anger and jealousy is what led to this. It's the root of his sin, is his anger and jealousy against Abel because Abel's sacrifice was accepted because he did the right thing and Cain's wasn't. And instead of turning that around and saying, okay, let me change my heart, let me change my heart toward God the way that I'm acting, let anger and jealousy sit in his heart and that led to that sin. We see this, this is where we talk about that, the root situation, the root of sin being that anger and jealousy. In 1 John chapter 2 verses 9 through 11 it says this whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes john talks about the fact that if we hate our brother that's not in line with what god wants for us. It's not in line with being in the light, being a follower of Jesus. That's something we need to deal with. Jesus talks about that in in that passage in Matthew where he says, if you've got something against your brother before you make your offering, go and and be reconciled. This is a problem that we have of, of holding on to hate, holding on to anger, resentment in our heart rather than dealing with it, rather than going to the person And of course, we see Cain answer in, God, in response to God with this callous comment of, am I my brother's keeper? Right? And it's really a callous thing to say and really a dark thing to say because it's, it's what he's essentially saying, that, that word keeper is the same word as shepherd in this passage. And so he's essentially asking, am I my shepherd's shepherd? Because right? that was Abel's job, was to keep the sheep. He was a keeper of sheep. He was a shepherd of sheep. He's using, he's using Abel's own title in response to God and asking if he should have been watching over him. And of course, the question is rhetorical when, when God asks him, where's your brother? Like, God already knows. But again, he's giving him a chance to admit his guilt. He's giving him a chance to, how is he going to respond? And it actually mirrors what God does with Adam and Eve when they re- rebel against him. When he says, what have you done? Where are you? He's asking these questions that he already knows the answer to because he's giving them a chance to show what's in their heart. How are they going to respond from this point forward? Even here, I think, Cain has a chance to take responsibility for what he's done and repent and come and lay himself before God's mercy and say, God, yes, I, I murdered my brother and I, I have this anger and hatred and I, I, I repent and I want to I change. Right? He has a chance there to, to respond and instead goes, I don't know, I, I'm my brother's keeper. Right? He's trying to cover it up, trying to hide it. 
instead of being honest with what's happened, which is even what, what Adam and Eve did, right? They told him, they told God what happened. So we see that it's even moved from that point. He doesn't admit his guilt like his parents did. And then God makes this comment of his blood is crying out to me from the ground. And that, and that points to, and it begins to point to this idea of how sacred blood is and how important blood is going to be um, in, in both in Scripture and just in life and the way God has designed it, right? The life is in the blood is the way that it's talked about. In Leviticus chapter 17, verses 10 through 12, he says this, If any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Therefore I have said to the people of Israel, No person among you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger who sojourns among you eat blood. Where he establishes the fact that the, the life is in the blood, the life, the blood is crying out to the, from the ground to God. He's saying, like, this is where the life is. This is what ultimately make atonement. And these are the verses that were in the heads of the disciples as they sat there at the Last Supper, and Jesus said, Take this cup, it is my blood of the new covenant. Think about how shocking that was for them. That's something that's normal to us because we, we do it every Sunday. You've done it since you were a kid. Right? Communion, taking communion symbolically, drinking Jesus' blood symbolically. Was, that would have been so mind-blowing to them that, that he would be saying these things because it was so clear in the Old Testament that they had been raised knowing that you don't do this because the life is in the blood. But because the life is in the blood, Jesus says this. Jesus tells them to take it symbolically precisely because his life is in the blood. And that's the option. That's what we offer at communion. Right? When we're going to take communion in a, in a few minutes, and that's what we'll be doing. We're, we're receiving the life of Jesus symbolically. We're, we're going through what he did in remembrance of him and symbolically being refreshed by his life as we should be every day. Because his Blood is ultimately what paid for our sins on the cross. And if you accepted that, you're welcome at the table. And if you haven't, this is the day to do it. We see the consequences and grace offered to Cain, right? He has an extreme consequence. The ground's not going to work for him anymore. He's going to have to be a wanderer on the earth. Being driven from the land means also being driven from his family, right? Because of what he's done, now his relationship with Adam and Eve is going to be essentially cut off. And he's going to be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, but no one will be allowed to kill him, which is a grace, right? He's saying, I'm going to give you a mark. No one's going to be allowed to kill you. He, he gives this consequence, extreme consequence, but he also gives grace in this situation. But now we're going to see how that plays out. We're going to continue in this passage. And I think I have the wrong reference on, on your... On your uh, handouts it's it's still chapter four i believe i think i have it on there as chapter three so cain's great 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 grandson is what we're going to see here so cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore enoch and when he built a city he called the name of the city after the name of his son enoch to enoch was born irad and irad fathered mehujael mehujael 
fathered Methusael. Methusael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives, and the name of one was Ada and the other Zillah. And Ada bore Jabal, and he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of those who play the lyre and the pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. Lamech said to his wives, now I know you zoned out when I was reading all those names. Okay, I know that you zoned out when I was reading those names. This is the part to pay attention to. And I'm so sorry we have the wrong verses on the, on the screen. That's my, my fault. But um, we're in chapter 4, verse 23, if you're following along. This is the part to pay attention to. Lamech is Cain's great-great-great-grandson. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. What we see is Lamech now, Cain's great-great-great-grandson, bragging about the fact that he's murdered two people and then claiming that God will protect him more than he protected Cain. He's become so calloused. This is what's been passed down from Cain. This is what's resulted in his, in his children is that this wickedness has continued and he is now bragging in the face of God's grace. Right? He's become arrogant in the face of God's grace. He said, look, now God's going to protect me just like he protected Cain. Look at how, how great this is. And I'm killing people just for hitting me. This is what's been passed down from Cain. And this is, of course, the, this, is the, the, this is a potential in response to grace. Right? This is a dangerous potential and a dangerous way that we could go. We see this in Romans chapter 6, or at least a discussion of this in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, where he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Right? He's saying there's this chance that we have when we're giving grace, how are we going to respond to it? Are we going to respond by saying, yes, I'm free from sin and I no longer have to do that anymore? Or are we going to flaunt our grace and continue to rebel? going, oh, God's going to continue to forgive me. That's essentially what Lamech is at, the, the, where Lamech is, of saying, hey, God's going to protect me, and I've killed people, and I don't even care. And that's the path that, that Cain had gone down. That's the path that his family went down. The, his path represents a, continual, a continued rebellion against God. But there's another side of it that we see if we pick up in chapter 4, verse 25, Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offering instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So we see this splitting of, of, the, of, of paths, where we see Cain's path, rebellion against God, anger, hatred, murder, 
wickedness, evil path. And then we see Seth's path, which again, Seth in Hebrew sounds like appointed. That's why he says appointed me, a, a replacement for Abel, essentially, is what she's saying there. We see Seth's path, and we see him say, at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. We see people start to try to follow God. That's really possibly the first instance that you can see of prayer in the Bible, of people calling upon the name of the Lord. That's, that's where we see that happening. All right, chapter 5 is a, is a long genealogy, and I'm not going to read it all. I'm not going I'm, I'm to probably read any of it because it's just it's a very long, a lot of names that are hard to pronounce. You should look at it though. There's a couple things that I'll point out in it. There's a couple things that I'll that I'll highlight in it. Um, one is is that there's this there's this one name that that sticks out in the whole thing, right? There, there's one passage that sticks out in the whole thing, and it's in uh, we'll start in verse 21, and I do have them in there if you want to jump to verse 21. I don't know how easily you can do that. And it's Enoch. It says, When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after that, after he fathered Methuselah, 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch's were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. He's the only one in this giant list of people that is, spe- that is singled out and says God, Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. So we assume that in some way he didn't really die. God just like took him up when he was done with him. And, and he's the only one that says Enoch walked with God. And, and here's one thing that I think when I read these genealogies. When you look at these genealogies where just like person after person after person, they are essentially jumping from like here's the, the, the important story to here's the next important story in this passage, right? Because you have Cain and Abel, and then we're going to jump, essentially, via genealogy to Noah. And that's just hundreds of years that are just being passed by, and God's basically like, nothing important happened that whole time. There's a very good chance we're in one of those right now, right? That our whole life and our whole grandparents' life and everybody before, like, for several generations before us, and possibly for several generations after, is one of those is just like, nothing's going to be written about, right? Nothing important is going to happen. But here's the challenge. is like, could you be Enoch? Right? Could you be at least a blip where at least a, that, that it could be at least that of your life, this person walked with God. This person followed after God. This person was unique in his generation for following God, even among his generations, for following God and walking with him. I'm not saying you're going to be taken up at some point, right? But, but could you be notable just in that little bit? Like, we don't even know what that encompasses. What did that look like? Why, how was he so unique in that? We don't really know. We don't know what was so unique about it. But we know that, it, that he was at least unique enough to get that mention. And he gets another mention later in Hebrews chapter 11. We pick up where we, we read that earlier in Hebrews about um, Abel in, in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 5 and 6 says by faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death and he was not found because God had taken him now before he was taken he was commended as having pleased God and without faith it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him 
And ultimately, this passage, like I said, this ends with Noah. It ends up getting us to Noah and, and God's, and, and God, well, that's where we'll pick up next week is in chapter 6 to start looking at Noah. But what we see is these two paths that diverge. And I think I have, there you go, yeah. So these two paths, right, of Cain and Seth are ultimately the paths that we see here. And, and one thing that's notable is that a lot of the names are very similar. God's really highlighting the fact that like, hey, here's the path of faith and here's the path of rebellion. Here's the path of good and here's the path of evil that are, that are separating out here. And they're color-coded to show you the, the names that are similar. Right? But and they match up in this weird way because God's saying like, look at how these are, are playing out in, in such different ways from where they were at. And so we have that choice of what path are we going to be on? Are we going to be people that are following God, walking closely with God, being like Enoch, or are we going to live in that rebellion, that, that unrepentance? Right? That's really what God was looking for with Cain was, is his heart going to soften? Is he going to say, yes, I messed up? He never really does that. His only real response ultimately is, my punishment is too great. He never really says, yeah, I messed up. I shouldn't have done that. I've sinned. I've fallen Please help me. He never, never does that. So that's the choice that we have to ask us. How, how am I responding? Well, I'm going to end with these, these, uh, these questions. How I should then live? How should I then, how should we then live? I've got four questions for you this week. A little different than what we normally do. Four questions. First, am I offering God my best? Right? Cain and Abel brought offerings. One was accepted, one wasn't. It was about the faith, the heart of it, and then also what was being offered. Is it, is it really what, is it going to cost you something? Is it offering God something worthwhile and, and, and the best that you have to offer? Secondly, am I holding on to anger and jealousy? But that's, that's really the key when we look at this, this instance of, of the first murder. It's what led to it. It's the heart condition that we want to watch in ourselves of where am I with that? Am I angry? Am I jealous? What resentments and things do I have that I'm holding on to? Third, how have I responded to God's grace, right? Like Cain, Cain did have some measure of grace given to him, and he responded by flaunting it. He responded by passing this down to his children of, look, no one's going to ever hurt us because God's given us this protection. That was a graceful protection, but it wasn't meant to be flaunted the way that he did. And then lastly, am I following God closely? Right? Am I living a life like Enoch lived that is notable if only for the fact that I walked with God, that I'm close with God, that I, I'm seeking to follow him? And, we're, and it's, it's apropos that we're doing this because we're going to take communion today, and, and these are the questions, these are the type of questions we should ask ourselves and prepare ourselves for communion. I, I don't know if this is something that we've really taught much about from in here we 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 take communion regularly once a month but and, and i think some people have some understanding of as we pass the elements they get in a mo- uh, pre- start prepare themselves for communion but i think some people will just think man this is taking a long time that time as we're as we're passing communion and all that it is really meant for preparation of our hearts that we come before god ask these questions of god and you know, where am i at we sang that song Search me, asking God to search our hearts, confessing sin to him, you know, being reconciled, praying. That's kind of what this time is for. I'll ask the, the uh, elders to come forward to serve communion now.
And, and that's really what this, this time is for. This time is for coming before God and, and praying and confessing. This morning, we're, we're going to be doing a, a song during, uh, as, as communion is served. Feel free to ignore it. Some people like it. We do that very rarely. Some people like it when we do it. Some people don't. That's fine, either way. Um, there will be words up on, on the screen. They're really meant for you just to follow along. So if you want to, if you want to do that, or you can totally ignore it, bow your head, and, and just kind of listen to the music. But uh, it is a song that's really about this. It's about pre- confession and preparation of our hearts and how we, how we respond to him. So let's go to the Lord now in prayer. Father, we thank you for um, your word. We thank you for these stories uh, that we can, can respond to and say, God, uh, search my heart. Am I rebellious? Am I angry? Do I have, hold on to these resentments? Or how am I following you? Pray that you would prepare our hearts now as we receive your body and, uh, and blood symbolically through these elements. We thank you for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. Amen.